Hi, everyone. Before we start, just a quick reminder that you can get a copy of my book, The Fix, or the electronic or audible version from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, or at all major retailers. In The Fix, you'll learn how gender inequality works, what the 17 most common barriers are that all women face, and how gender inequality creates challenges to men's fulfillment at work. Most importantly, you'll learn what we can do to remove these obstacles and how we can make workplaces work for everyone. So get your copy today and let me know what you think by leaving a review on Amazon. Sexual harassment is a range of things. It's about power plays and trying to subjugate you. And sexual harassment, it can range from everything from come-ons, making sexually suggestive comments, looks, unwelcome sexual contact, to things that are put-downs, really things that are used to subjugate you, to make you feel uncomfortable so that you play small in your environment. And unfortunately, especially in this time with COVID-19, sexual harassment is very much on the rise in workplaces because there's so much desperation And also, too, a lot of people are feeling very powerless, not knowing when this pandemic's going to end or what's going to happen with their own professional lives. And so it's just so incredibly important that individuals have a true game plan for sexual harassment and fully understand what it is. I'm your host, Michelle King, and you're listening to The Fix a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. We all know how to spot overt sexism. It happens whenever people openly discriminate against women with blatantly sexist comments, harassment, or discriminatory behaviors. However, in recent years, overt sexism has fallen out of favor. It's just no longer socially acceptable to engage in these practices, even if you believe women are not as competent or valuable as men. Today, you're much more likely to see people engage in modern sexism, which includes any beliefs that indirectly condone the unequal treatment of women and men. Modern sexism is a lot harder to see because people often deny having these beliefs or engaging in these behaviors. This makes it particularly difficult to tackle. Through my own research, I've discovered that there are generally three conditions that make workplaces unwelcoming to women. First, these include more informal workplaces, such as workplaces that don't have a code of conduct or clearly established policies or processes. And secondly, workplaces that lack transparency, where the standards of acceptable behavior or the company's values are not clearly stated. And lastly, workplace cultures that have a lot of inconsistency. For example, where poor behavior is inconsistently managed or often ignored. In these workplaces, women are far more likely to encounter everyday sexism. On this episode, Adrian Lawrence, author of Staying in the Game, the playbook for beating workplace sexual harassment, will share why neither men nor women can escape sexual harassment unscathed. 
She'll also outline why sexual harassment is a key feature of the COVID-19 workplace and, importantly, what you can do to fix this. A 2017 Pew Research report finds that 42% of women in the United States say they face discrimination at work because of their gender. This included being treated as less competent, receiving less support from leaders, enduring social isolation, and being denied opportunities to advance. When discrimination shows up at work, leaders may acknowledge it, but they believe these are just one-off events that women have to overcome on their own. This makes it easy to believe that women are the problem, not workplaces. Here, Adrian shares what workplace sexism is and why it matters. Most people think they do have a handle on it, but they do not. And also, a lot of people think that they know what it is. And unfortunately, they also do not. Sexual harassment is a range of things. And as a lot of people do now finally recognize, it has nothing to do with sex. It's about power plays and trying to subjugate you. And sexual harassment, it can range from everything from come-ons that are maybe sexual in nature, continually asking someone out, you know, making sexually suggestive comments, looks, unwelcome sexual contact, to things that are put-downs, like disparaging unprofessional comments that are related to one's sex or their gender, also sexist teasing, comments, jokes, and really things that are used to subjugate you, to make you feel uncomfortable so that you play small in your environment, so that person feels more powerful over you. And unfortunately, especially in this time with COVID-19, sexual harassment is very much on the rise in workplaces because there's so much desperation. And also, too, a lot of people are feeling very powerless, not knowing when this pandemic's going to end or what's going to happen with their own professional lives. And so it's just so incredibly important that individuals have a true game plan for sexual harassment and fully understand what it is. COVID-19 has compounded inequalities that already existed in workplaces, especially when it comes to the invisible barriers women face at work. Women are more likely than men to struggle with work and family conflict, having to manage the mental and emotional load. And women struggle with the double bind associated with having to live up to the outdated masculine managerial ideal, with things like being perceived as less competent for having children interrupt a Zoom meeting, or having their performance judged on their appearance rather than just their competence. Additionally, women are at higher risk of contracting COVID-19 as they make up 85% of all nurses and 75% of primary caregivers. Women are more likely to be laid off as they make up 62% of minimum and low-wage workers. Here, Adrian shares examples of how sexism plays out in the COVID-19 workplace. One of the core aspects of sexual harassment and why it happens is, as I mentioned, power dynamics people feeling like they're losing a sense of power and they essentially respond by wanting to control you. It's largely sociological aspects as opposed to legal because a lot of people unfortunately think sexual harassment is legal and it is not a legal issue. But in COVID-19, we have a situation where we have a lot of jobs lost and women have really been on the receiving end of losing these jobs. And that could unfortunately be very much a part of sexual harassment in terms of 
choosing a male to continue to work in a position as opposed to a female. And people are working from home. They're feeling a lot more comfortable in their space than they should. And also, there's a lot more interaction between people in less of a formal setting. So I have spoken to people who have been receiving inappropriate text messages from superiors in the middle of the night because people are texting and messaging a lot more now. And also these kind of unfortunately put downs that people are also experiencing via these Zoom conference calls where you just kind of want to brush it off as, you know, maybe that person's frustrated. We're all going through a lot. But the reality is if that individual is only targeting maybe the women in their organization or individuals in the LGBTQ community, then you need to look further and really start to question, hey, this could be sexual harassment. Not all women are the same. When it comes to sexual harassment, racial and ethnic minority women not only encounter sexism, but they also have to deal with racism, as well as discrimination resulting from a combination of both of these factors, something known as gendered racism. Here, Adrian shares why it's so important to understand how sexual harassment plays out differently for all women. In my book, Staying in the Game, I devote a nice amount of time in the chapter to explaining how the racial dynamics and the intersectionality impact sexual harassment. Because we have to remember this is about power and keeping people down. So, you know, you can keep your place on the totem pole. So unfortunately, that ends up playing out where women of color are the greatest victims of sexual harassment. In fact, Black women file EEOC sexual harassment charges at a rate that's three times that of white women. We also know that unfortunate racial stereotypes that have plagued communities of color for centuries, for instance, in the Asian American community, this thought that Asian women are submissive China dolls or aggressive hungry dragon ladies also plays out in how they are sexualized and mistreated in the workplace. Something that I find to be very interesting is that Asian American women are one of the few groups who are sexually harassed from below. And what I mean by that is that their subordinates are more likely to put them down or to try to sexually harass them as opposed to if they were of a different race. Also, too, we unfortunately lack a fair amount of data on how groups experience sexual harassment. For instance, the indigenous community, we know that they are particularly vulnerable to sexualized violence. They're two and a half times more likely to be sexually assaulted than women of all other races. And yet we still do not have the data we need to know about their workplace experiences. We have the most data on, largely when it comes to race, in terms of minorities, we have the most data on the experiences of Black women because they suffer sexual harassment so much and because we're targeted as both a racial hierarchy and a gender hierarchy and that intersectionality coming together, it can be very, very damaging in terms of our ability to maintain economic independence. Also, we know Black men are labeled hypersexual and sexually knowledgeable and physically superior for sex. And that's been kind of a legacy that's been thrust upon them. So Black men also receive a lot of sexual harassment in the workplace, unfortunately, in terms of maybe teasing jokes or sexually aggressive come-ons. It's very disparaging, and it can significantly impact our ability to thrive in a workplace and even remain employed. 
It's too easy to ignore or remain silent when we witness or experience discrimination at work. But research finds simply witnessing discrimination can have the same negative impact on your mental and emotional well-being as if you had experienced the discrimination yourself. None of us want to see our colleagues discriminated against, which is why we feel terrible when we witness this happening. The good news is, this means that each of us have something to gain from creating a more equal work environment. But this starts with addressing sexual harassment head-on. How you address sexual harassment will depend on the type of harassment, but also the type of harass hole, I call them in the book. And you're going to want to kind of target it and address the behavior depending on how it's coming at you, who it's coming from. So there's no blanket kind of answer on how you go about it. But the thing I can tell you that needs to be consistent and people need to understand is to trust their instincts. They know better. And you know what you're feeling and if you are uncomfortable. And so trusting those instincts is so important because unfortunately, our colleagues and even sometimes our loved ones will try to gaslight us to tell us it's no big deal or maybe, you know, you wore the wrong thing or maybe that person was having a bad day as opposed to knowing, hey, there's something going on here that's very problematic and I'm being targeted. And this is definitely within the framework of sexual harassment. It's really tricky with organizations because they could have done the right thing a long time ago, but unfortunately, it's not getting done. The thing is that oftentimes with these organizations, as I've recently written in the Harvard Business Review, is that they treat sexual harassment as it's a legal issue. And it's not. But when they treat it like it's legal, they are ignoring the behavioral aspects that it easily can be quashed if maybe you empower managers to handle it or stop treating it with these legal kid gloves. Because once they treat something as legal, you as the employee become their opposition, as opposed to someone who they're supposed to be working with to fix a behavioral issue that is impacting the work environment. And so a lot of these employers can really start in their HR departments and their view on sexual harassment and just really look at it for what it is, bullying because of sex or gender. Despite all the reports of sexism in tech, a 2017 Pew Research Center study found that the majority of men don't think sexism in tech is a big deal. This isn't a one-off. A 2015 survey by the Pew Research Center found that consistently fewer men than women believed sexism was a barrier for women to achieve top leadership positions in business and politics. In 2014, a survey by the Pew Research Center also found that 65% of women said there was at least some discrimination against women in society, while only 48% of men shared that view. The differences in perception is the real problem that we need to solve. Men don't see women's different lived experiences of the workplace, but they continue to dominate leadership positions and consequently, play a major role in efforts to stamp out or perpetuate gender discrimination. That's why it's so important for both men and women to tackle everyday sexism at work. Here, Adrian shares what each of us can do. Number one, as I mentioned, trust your instincts, but also to know your worth. This thought of I'm lucky to be here or, hey, you know, I really need this job. There are so many huge and significant collateral consequences that 
really show you how much it's not worth staying in a toxic workplace and how it can be so much more damaging to your career than possibly being unemployed for a few months. Just the long-term aspect and consequences are just tumultuous to your life, your mental health, and your professional stability. So sometimes you have to, hey, stand up entirely for your worth and just roll out. Uh, And something that I am very proud of in terms of my book that is very kind of first of its kind and what helps is the fact that I fully address all of the things, the negative consequences that most people don't anticipate when they think it's just losing a job or maybe being uncomfortable for a little while. And having the research-backed evidence that'll show you that it's not just something minor, that it has so much more of a significant impact on one's life is critical. It's just so important for individuals as bystanders to step up because when we do remember that this is really just bullying and it is power plays, it can do so much to have a bystander there who will intervene or someone to support you. And not being afraid of, you know, maybe being called out for your own indiscretions or maybe just feeling like maybe you're breaking the bro code. We need people to get past that. And so men are willing to interject and to also check themselves because nobody needs sexual harassment. It's just a waste of resources, time, and it has very harmful effects on individuals. too easy to believe that just because we're working from home, gender inequality is no longer an issue for women. But this is simply not the case. Now more than ever, women need leaders who understand their different lived experiences of working life and the challenges they face trying to advance at work. COVID-19 has compounded the invisible barriers women face at work, and removing these barriers starts with acknowledging them. I really hope you all enjoyed today's episode. Just a quick reminder that you can sign up to my weekly newsletter at michellepeking.com. You can also reach out to me there for interview requests or to be featured on the show. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week. Music